Hello and welcome to episode 188 of SMARTS, which as you know stands for Starting Month April Relates to Silliness. Ooh, Ooh. that's true. Yes, it is April 1st as we record, so I couldn't resist a little pun about it. Um, how about intros? Yes, I am Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, Dash Podcaster, and with me as always is Trevor, aka Rudiger Q, Podcaster. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Excellent. How about some news? Okay. Yay! So we only have one bit of news this week, and you actually know a little bit about it already. Okay. But um, Warner Brothers officially announced the voice cast for the upcoming Batman Hush animated movie. Ooh. Uh, given that it takes place in the same continuity as the majority of the other animated movies they've been doing recently, there's some familiar voices. Is that a thing? Familiar voices returning? Yes. Um, you know, Jason O'Mara as Batman, Jerry O'Connell as Superman, a, a, bunch of, a bunch of people from the reign that were in uh, Death of Superman and Reign of Superman. The reign of the Superman, actually. Rebecca Romaine mm-hmm. um, as Lois Lane and Rain Wilson as Lex Luthor and obviously Jerry O'Connell as Superman, plus people that had been in the other Batman-related movies like uh, Stuart Moore as Damien and Sean Maher as Nightwing. Um, but cool. the... the um, the big new additions here are uh, some a lot of the Batman villains who hadn't previously been voiced in any of these anim- anim- animated movies. Mm-hmm. And um, Catwoman is going to be voiced by Jennifer Morrison, um, who most, a lot of people know as uh, she was on House for years. She was, uh, oh, yeah. she was uh, Captain face. Kirk's mother in uh, the J.J. from Star Trek movie. And then she was on, wasn't she the lead on Once Upon a Time, which I never watched? So oh, you know, yeah. she's, been, she's been around for a while. A lot of people know her. So she's really excited to be playing Catwoman. Her, her hair changed. <laughs> it was enough to throw me. Ah. Did you ever watch House? Um, I saw a few episodes and I know who you're talking about, but I was a fan of Once Upon a Time as well. So I okay. do know her. Not that uh, big of a fan that you don't recognize the star, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting that they're, I don't know, it's, it's sort of a weird... It's a weird way to do it, but it's worked out pretty well so far, taking the these iconic stories from the comics and then fitting them into this this new animated continuity. I mean, they took, instead of doing Death of Superman and... Was it, was it Reign of the Superman? Yeah, Death of Superman and Reign of the Superman. Yeah. Um, in like a, a perfect comics-accurate way. Mm-hmm. They kept it pretty accurate, but they ported it into this animated continuity they have going mm-hmm. um like the justice league roster isn't the same and characters are in like slightly different places different ages you know like going into death of superman superman lois and clark were engaged already in the comics uh-huh. whereas in that movie which we watched recently like she didn't even know his secret identity yet right. so their things are different they they ported it over so it's interesting where they sometimes they choose to do that and sometimes they make the movies their complete own thing like the recent Justice League versus Fatal Five when we watched and the way yeah. they used to do it with, you know, New Frontier and some of the other ones. Now they're sort of fitting everything into the same continuity, but it's worked pretty well so far. And it's, it's nice to have the same actors over and over again. As much as I enjoyed a lot of the earlier animated movies they did, like New Frontier and Gotham Knight and Superman Doomsday and Green Lantern First Flight and a mm-hmm. lot of the Wonder Woman movie with um, Kerry Russell and Nathan Fillion, they were great, but you can't really build up much steam because it's like they're one and done. Like mm-hmm. you're never going to see those versions of those characters again, mm-hmm. you know? So part of the fun of this is to see the characters evolve over time and their relationships evolve. And, you know, like I would have loved to have seen a sequel to that Carrie Russell Wonder Woman animated movie. That yeah. was great, but it's probably never going to happen. The um, the one that's coming up, Wonder Woman First Blood, I think is another one that's coming out. Um, 
I think next year is one of the next animated movies they're doing, probably to capitalize with the Wonder Woman 1984 coming out. I'm, I think everybody's assuming that's going to be the Rosario Dawson animated, you know, like the, the part of right. the same continuity yeah. with, with all the other, you know, Jason Amara, if it's Batman and Jerry O'Connell of Superman's in there, whatever, um, which is fine. But it's, you know, it'd be nice to see some of those older continuities continued now that like everything is part of this one, which is probably more streamlined anyway, because you can, yeah, you can have that through line where you can see the characters evolve. You know, Damien's relationship to Batman evolved a lot over those first few animated movies and yeah. his relationship with Nightwing and everything. Anyway, so we've got that coming out in just a few months. Yeah, it's I'm looking forward to it. From what I, from what little I know about it, I am. It's a huge, it. it's a huge story in the comics. Most, I mean, the 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 writing was good. It probably didn't need to be twelve issues. The mm-hmm. writing was pretty good, but it was most well known because it was the first work that Jim Lee did for. I mean, like he might have in the eighties or something. But Jim Lee was a Marvel guy. Like his his he did the X he did X Men right. for years, and then. You know, he left with everybody else to go form Image, where he did Wildcats and everything else. But this was the first time he'd really worked for DC mm-hmm. doing art. And he did, you know, an issue. And also, as with most of the other Image founders, he was renowned for being, like, slow and late with everything, right? Like, it's, <laughs> you, get, you go off on your own to form your own company where yeah. the artists are running things. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you don't have editors cracking the whip anymore. And stuff starts to slide, like yeah. it did with most pretty much everybody. Um, so it was remarkable that the, the big news was that he did 12 monthly issues with no fill-ins and mm-hmm. you know no shortcuts or whatever, that was the big thing. Um, and crazy. then, and then of course, and I'm trying to remember when Wildstorm his his branch of Image was purchased by DC, whether it was before or after that. And then of course, that got absorbed into DC, and then he became a DC executive, and now he's one of the people running the company. Yeah. This was the first time that he really associated with DC. So that's mostly what it's known for is his his great art on there and his versions of you know Batman and Catwoman and Clayface and Joker mm-hmm. and Rachel Ghoul and it was Jeff Loeb kind of tailored the story so that he would get to draw the entire rogues gallery mm-hmm. even though it kind of felt like every issue was just Batman facing off a different against a different villain while Hush pulled the strings it's it was sort of like a greatest hits like the 12 issues let's throw everything that you can possibly want to see Jim Lee draw in the Batman universe into this one story you mm-hmm. know whereas here they're going to condense 12 issues down to 75 minutes so but I feel like you could lose a lot of that and it probably wouldn't lose too much so it's probably it's probably easier to smush into 75 minutes than certainly the New Frontier was probably even than Death yeah. of Superman was so yeah. yep that's it for the news I'm looking forward to it so what was your comic of the week so this week I picked Freedom Fighters number four I just it hit all the right buttons for me. I usually the we, Nazi button. Yeah, no, I mean, with the political climate being what it is right now, um, and I'm not going to dive too much into it, but it's just mean people being mean to each other, and it's just reading this was nice and cathartic, and kind of drummed a patriotic drum I didn't know I had in my chest. You know, it's it was a fun read, and it was so nicely written too. I remember. Um, Part, part of what I liked about this issue was how the writers clearly had some knowledge, a good in-depth knowledge of history and the terminologies used there, and they, they were comfortable with poems that hadn't had been written 400 years ago, you know, so like nice inspiring um, themes throughout the, the rising of a rebellion that has to happen in order for positive change to take place and it's just it was a very nice issue and full of hope and I think that that's so important to to remember and to hold dear and it's just it hit the right notes for me this weekend so I placed it above everything else that I read so that's why I picked it very just, good and the art was beautiful also <laughs> 
How about you? What did you pick? So I couldn't decide between Detective Comics number 1000 and Action number 1009. Wow. Just yeah. because, I mean, I felt like you kind of have to, I feel like if you if I, you don't give it to Detective, you kind of have to explain why because yes. it's the obvious choice. So explain yourself. <laughs> um, I know. But, I know. This but, is how good the issue I was th- for I me. feel like <laughs> because Action Comics, I mean, I, I'm really enjoying Bendis on Superman and there's a lot of great character moments in here between Lois Lane and Amanda Waller and mm-hmm. Lois and Clark and Jimmy and... Sam Lane and the question was there. There was yeah. a great scene between Superman and the question and Steve Epting drew the hell out of everything, like very moody. Yes, like, like he so did, film He noir. did a lot of, so here's here's the, your frame of reference for that. He did a lot of uh, Ed Brubaker's Captain America run and Ca- Ed Brubaker's Captain America run was what the whole Winter Soldier thing was pulled oh, from. Okay. So if you can picture him drawing like the sort of dark espionage winter soldiery yes. vibe like it was in the movie mm-hmm. in this style like mm-hmm. that's what that comic book run was wow so his he's perfectly suited for this similarly sort of espionage flavor yeah, yeah, yeah. run that bendis is the doing. hero in the shadows and you oh, wouldn't think good. that espionage stuff would work that well with superman but the revelation at the end is that they have this like kryptonite tool they can use to like transform superman into <laughs> a completely different looking guy with a beard and he and lois have a separate secret identity as agents it's of spiral so crazy but it, i mean wouldn't like it seems like a batman-y thing to do like of course yeah. batman would have one a, a secret identity where he's, where he's actually a secret agent like yeah. he'd have an ongoing secret agent identity that he could slip into whenever he needs to with yeah. full credentials and everything mm-hmm. so the idea of it being something that superman would do seems surprising surprising, but when like Lois and Clark as investigative journalists yeah like if they had an in with a major intelligence network if they had a way to do that and of course Superman would want to keep his ear to the ground in that way also Mm -hmm. if possible so I I, it's a really intriguing story possibility and the whole thing about Leviathan taking down all these organizations and I don't know. I, Chaz, that was the name. Chaz is the, is the name of his, and he's British apparently. Like his, yeah. his spiral secret agent identity. So is crazy. So like Superman is James Bond, basically. Yeah. The whole Batman is James Bond. Even Dick Grayson is James Bond. Thing has been done over and over oh, again, yeah. especially recently. But, but I mean, Detective Comics. I feel like, but Action Comics was just like it was twenty pages and it was just concentrated stuff that I enjoyed. Yeah. Whereas Detective Comics, because it was like eighty pages and there were a lot of stories in there that I so really enjoyed, mm-hmm. but there were also a few in there that I'm like that was good, but it wasn't like knock my socks off. And so like. Yeah. On average, the average is like lower than with action. But of course, in Detective, you know, Tom King's great story Mm -hmm. with, um, I know it was... um Give me a second. Tony Daniel on the on the sequences on the rooftop. And I think, wasn't it Joelle Jones doing the it sequences was of Bruce Jones, yeah. walking through the graveyard? Mm-hmm. That was a great story. Jeff Johns did a great story about like a dream Batman has about like his final case where he's mm-hmm. got his family there and the son of Joker goes peacefully and now Gotham mm-hmm. can be happy forever, you know, and he mm-hmm. wakes up and it was just a dream and stuff. I mean, no, nothing earth shattering. And then, of course... Um, oh, the detective. Uh, I liked the detective story where he was solving the case that took him years and years and years. Oh, yeah. And went Scott Snyder. It was in the very Pulo story where they, they induct him into this uh, gang of detectives. Yeah. This this one lead that he's been chasing lead after lead, one mystery leading to another mystery for his entire career spanning decades. And yeah. it turns out it was like... This, his friends uh, pulling fast ones on him. Well, it was like a trail that... that it's not like they laid the trail. It's a trail right. that they followed in their time. Mm-hmm. And then people followed before them. But now you've got like the Hawks and Detective Chimp and Ralph and Sue But they kept adding to the trail. And the question. Yeah. like But each they new thing it, like yeah. adds to it and it changes on its mm-hmm. own. Also, and, uh, So yeah, that was a great story too. And then of course, um, Peter Tomasi does the story at the end that introduces the Arkham Knight, which is going to be much like in Action Comics number 1000, mm-hmm. the last story was Bendis's story, and it led into what Bendis was going to be doing with the books going forward. Pete Tomasi's story introduces the Arkham Knight, and then he's going to be a character 
and studying in Detective 1001 and going forward he's going to be doing the art with Brad Walker and it's going to be the whole Arkham Knight who's a character that's a lot of people that has a lot of fans from his appearance in the Arkham games that Rocksteady did for the for uh, the vi- current generation video game consoles. So that should be interesting too. But yeah, so I really enjoyed a lot of the stories in there. Um, the one that Warren Ellis did, where it's um, Batman like plans out this entire siege on these this like mercenary group in a warehouse but he's planned it out so meticulously there's like okay i'm gonna set up this charge here it's gonna send this guy flying over Mm -hmm. here and the final piece of the puzzle was that he just knows he's gonna be able to talk the last guy down by appealing to his human so yeah. I, I like that because it showed like no matter how meticulously he plans and how much he seems like you know oh he's the devil and he's so driven and he's like he's emotionless and he's just like you know what I mean yeah. like his final piece the final piece of his plan was I'm going to appeal to this guy's humanity yeah. and get him to lower his weapon you know mm-hmm. uh, that was just a really just clean Warren Ellis story also his stuff is always very very interesting so <laughs> I really enjoyed all those but it, but the action comics one and I'm, I'm a, you know I'm a bigger Superman guy than I'm a Batman guy probably anyway so at least these days so it, it definitely that one pushed more of my buttons but the detective one was was, was really great good. also yeah. so let me ask you then which did you know how well you can remember I mean it was only it was like half a year ago or whatever but um, action 1000 or detective 1000 which did you think was was the better issue oh you know it's sort of unfair because it's comparing apples to oranges is comparing batmans to supermans um i thought that the action 1000 was full of beautiful stories that really were written by people who understood the character of superman and the voice of superman and it touched me and i remember there was at least one that made me cry um i think that was one of the ones with um I mean, one of the stories had uh, Superman surviving the entire oh, that humanity. that was Tom King's, yeah. Yeah. His, so his was probably my favorite in both of the issues. But yeah, that was the <laughs> Tom King one where it was like the last moments of the Earth's right, life. Exactly. Like it was billions or millions or billions die. of years in the future and the Earth was about to be destroyed by the expanding sun. Mm-hmm. And he was at his parents' graves, you know. Yeah. And, we, you know. It's, or where they would have been because right like it was a deserted dead planet at yeah, the point yeah he recreated anyway. them or he'd done whatever no he know. just he he made them out of i uh, made them out of um glass that he took from the desert sands where yeah, his, i don't remember that but yeah it was it was very beautiful imagery evocative um I mean, but there were a couple stories in there. That was one that I remember very well. Oh, there was one with the friendship of Lex Luthor and Superman. Yeah, that was Scott Snyder's, the whole thing about yeah, yeah. The, him appealing to him as a... I mean, so, so again, an adult like a bunch to remember of stories. who he used to be and everything. And now you're asking me to choose between that and the collection of stories that really speak to who Batman is as a character. I mean, I, I have to say the detective story, I, as much as I enjoyed it, it doesn't really speak to Batman's character. Does that make sense? Because... A, I feel like he would have solved this case like very very quickly you know well I think that was there too and having Slam Bradley there as a character who who actually predates that Batman was just as being homage. from Detective Comics yeah. number one I think that was there too I think Snyder was paying homage to his roots because it, it's not just it's 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 the thousandth issue of Detective Comics and yes the series has become so intertwined with Batman it's like you know what I mean? Right. Like it's become the eponymous Batman series, but it's also a series that was around for years before Batman. Sure. So I think by I think it was there to um, sort of pay homage to the characters to the 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 series detective roots. You know, like yes. here's here's and because a lot of those characters actually like Martian Manhunter was there. He debuted as a backup in Detective Comics, obviously many years after Batman. Um, I'm not trying to remember. I know Ralph Dibley obviously debuted in the Flash, and the Hawks debuted in. 
can't remember Flash Comics. I think it was Flash. Oh, I don't Comics. know. You, you've got um, to beat on that one. But I think it was there to pay homage to the detective genre. Like this is you yes, know placing yes. Batman mm-hmm. in the context of the larger mythos of detectives yeah. in the DC. And universe. that's why I enjoyed it, and I understood that that's what it was doing. But as as to speaking what Batman is, like the character of Batman and the voice of Batman, it was a little deviant from I think what. What Snyder I has a very particular voice for Batman, which you see also in his Justice League stuff. But I think I think it was it was a good characterization characterization of Batman because it shows his drive and mm-hmm. his relentless yes. nature. Like mm-hmm. this was a mystery, which seemed which uh, so far as the kind of cases he undertakes seemed pretty innocuous like there was no yeah. life on the line there was right. no great weapon about to be unleashed yeah. it was just niggling at him yes like i never did solve that one and yeah. it took him decades but he kept following one lead mm-hmm. to another and he never forgot about mm-hmm. it he, you know what i mean yeah yeah it shows his intelligence and his drive and his yes. detective spirit Definitely, you know yeah so i think that's what it was there to do yeah yeah but i mean and yeah so i can't to answer your original question no i can't choose between the two because both of them are very meaningful and wonderful and it's just unfair to compare them okay uh, in my estimation. I think, yeah, I'm not sure I could. I think I probably enjoyed, I think the, the highs of Detective 1000 were higher. Like, I think I, I enjoyed, well, I don't know, Tom King's story in both is probably, was probably my favorite. It's hard to say which one I enjoyed. I think I enjoyed his Batman one more than I did his Superman one. Um, but I think there were more in the Superman one that really appealed to me than there For were For me, one. there were a lot of awe moments in Superman, and there were a lot of ooh moments in Batman. Does that make sense? I can't compare. Well, I think oohs. it's, I think that's, I think that's just the way the, <laughs> that's, the that's characters mine. are. Yeah, like, the Superman absolutely. lends exactly. himself more to heartwarming, touching yes. moments, and Batman stories tend to be, um, a good Batman story can be a good Batman story and just be like a cool hook or a cool twist or a cool mystery or a cool reveal or something. And exactly. Superman stories tend to, they need to have a bit more heart to them in order to really land. Exactly. Whereas a Batman story can can be like just clever without necessarily right. being mm-hmm. touching, you know? Exactly. And, and you've captured exactly what I was thinking. So, okay. yeah. So fun. for our pop quiz slash game this week, okay. since we're so, we've gotten so good at ranking things, oh and in Spirited Detective Comics number 1000, okay. I thought I would ask you to rank the Robins. Oh, so you based do, on what criteria? Well, you can do this one of two ways. So I was thinking about this earlier. You can either rank them as Robins. In other words, who is the best oh. Robin? Or you can rank them as like, who is your favorite character? Damien. Well, hold on. you got to tell me which way you're ranking Damien it Damien is my favorite Damon is my well, favorite character. So is that what you're going to do? Is that so what you're going to do? You're, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw. But the you others a might change. The the other ranks might change depending on which criteria you're using. So you have I'm to set the ground rules first. I'm going to throw you a curveball and say that I'm going to rank them on both criteria. So basically, it's going to be based okay. on how well I like them. All right. So you got. <laughs> I'll give you reasons. So you got five robins to choose from. I've got uh, five Dick, robins. Dick, Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Stephanie Brown, who was a robin, even mm-hmm. though nobody remembers. Although she knows that now because they revealed to her. You want to know it's a bummer comics, because like, I feel un- uneducated anyway. about how she was as a robin. So I mean, the stories weren't been, written very well, barely, unfortunately. That's sad. But so she was still a robin. She was still a robin for like a year. Okay, it's, she so had a she had a trophy. She had a memorial in the back. You know, when she I was love dead, supporting so. females in um in in comics, but I. I don't know much about her character, and to hear that well, her you read, stories were even poorly written. You read so. her for years in Detective Co- in James Tinian's Detective Comics run, so you you know you know Spoiler as a character, yeah, yeah. but and as Batgirl, I, sorry as Batgirl, she was better as Batgirl. She was great as Spoiler. 
her Robin stories weren't very great. And then her Batgirl story by Brian Q. Miller, who's one of the writers on Smallville, the, the TV show, mm-hmm. um, was fantastic. That was one of the best Batgirl runs of all time. So she was, she, she, the Robin run was sort of like the saggy middle Aww. of her career, <laughs> but she was still a Robin. So Okay. Um, well, why and not, then, and why then, not pick Carrie or what her... What because her she wasn't an... In, I'm just... If you oh. p- choose alternate Robins, then you'd be here all day. So I picked the five... <laughs> Fair. The five canonical Robins. Okay. Um, so, okay. So I pick... Um, well, Damien, I just, I love him. So your him. favorites are completely subjective, obviously. So I can't, I can't really ask you to interrogate that very much. But what makes you think, what makes you think he is the best Robin? Like as... So the best Robin, I just think... mean in terms of like prowess, like detective and fighting prowess? Because there's yes, more to it than that. Like, does he complement Batman's weaknesses? Does he, does he bolster Batman in, in all the ways that a Robin needs to support a he Batman? He challenges Batman... That's definitely true. Yeah, I know. I, but they I all think have in their own ways. Of course, I know. They they all, you know, when you're raising a teenager, no matter what, <laughs> you're going to be challenged. Um, he challenges him. He supports him. And sometimes he's not... Okay, so sometimes he's not a, an obedient Robin. I would Robin, say he's the least he's supportive always, Robin. <laughs> yes. But he is... No, because he always has Batman's back. At the end of the day, he may have he a superiority loyal, card. He's loyal, but he's not terribly he supportive. <laughs> No, not always, but he is there when you need him. Well, they all have been. So, I mean, it's, it's you know what I mean? Like, it's all relative. They, they're yeah. all there when you need and them. And there are always the stories little... of them being rebellious to that point, too. Even Tim Drake, who is amazing as a, as a support character. God, Tim was never rebellious. Mm. I can't think of a single instance where he really, he and Batman really had it out. Except for that one time where he quit. But that was... That was see fairly see the phrase written. except for that one time. But he didn't quit. Supports my he didn't quit because he was of, angry with Bruce. He quit because people he left kept dying. He's like, I can't do this anymore. But oh, that was no okay, disagreement with Bruce. It was fairly amicable, amicable as a split up. And then Bruce manipulated Stephanie into being Robin as a way of trying to manipulate him into taking the taking the mantle back. He's like, oh well, if you so if you don't want this role, let's see if you're maybe putting your girlfriend in danger will help. <laughs> so that was not a, not the best moment for either of them, but. Maybe. So so okay so so well so I don't know is for for many many reasons I just okay so sometimes he can be petulant and petty and grousy and wrong but for whatever reason Damien's still my favorite well he can be your favorite that's fine I just I I do I do wonder if he is the best like if if he as All Robin right. is doing everything that Robin needs to do in order no. to. <laughs> You know, to, to <laughs> Maybe be the not. best Robin. Let's just say he's growing into the role, okay? Because when Dick Grayson was Batman, as you so often tell me, he was an amazing Robin. Uh, he was a pretty <laughs> terrible Robin. He was he, Dick was bringing him around, but Dick was not even a great Batman for for a, a long time now. Because they both that was the, that was what made that so great is they were both figuring it out and they were helping each other figure it out. Well, it segues into my second favorite. Also, is Dick Grayson. How could you not pick Dick Grayson? He was a great Batman. He uh, sorry, Robin. He's the original, and he is a good person and he has the most experience and he put his skills to use but was always willing to learn more and he put a lot of heart into what he was doing um then tim because i do love brains over bronze so that's why jason is going to go number four and then sorry stephanie you actually have very little i you very little um experience and i guess the same is true true jason also but very little experience of actually seeing tim work with batman as batman and robin like as partners the closest you've probably come is the detective comics run where they were sort of on the gotham knights team together i can only answer your question based with the materials that i've studied it's too bad because i mean you saw plenty of like cartoon episodes where the 
Tim Drake of Batman the Animated Series was Robin to Batman, yeah. but that version of Tim Drake was basically Jason Todd with Tim Drake's name because yeah. he was like a street kid who Bruce took in. And all I can think of like right now, what about the what Tom King wrote, uh, the scene where all of them were sitting around the diner and eating food, and not in costume at this point. And... Um, you know that those those few interactions, scenes like that are all, pretty much all I have to go on. I don't have the years of history that you do. You know, I don't have the years of stories that you do. So I can only answer it with what I've got. And just based on what I've got, I've given you my rankings. Okay. It goes: so, Damien, Dick, Tim, um, um, Jason, and Stephanie. Okay. So, in terms of favorite. Um, I mean, it's tight between between Dick and Tim because, I mean, Tim was Robin when I started reading, but there's just so much other stuff out there. A lot of it really great with Dick as Robin across all media, you know, mm-hmm. Young Justice, various movies, you know, various other shows, plus comics that I went back and read and modern stuff, which sort of retells the earlier stories with Dick as Robin. I mean, even the one that um, James Tynion wrote in... Detective Comics 1000, which is about, it's called uh, The Precedent, which is Bruce and Alfred talking about, like, if we let this kid join me, what kind of precedent will it set? And Dick comes in and saying, don't you see? Like, it's all about setting the precedent. Like, you've inspired me to want to help. Mm -hmm. You're the precedent, not me. Yeah, and so maybe if I do this, it will inspire others. And Mm -hmm. and you know know that there's, you know, so many other people that... um, And we need inspiration. So, yeah, I mean, so I think that, I don't know. I think, I think... Yeah, I think it's, it's, really it's so hard. Because I, I think <laughs> I have to give it to Dick as as my favorite, just because it's it's hard to separate. Though I think Tim is probably my favorite Robin, but Dick is probably I like him as a character more than I do okay. Tim. I like them both a lot for different reasons, but I think Dick is a better character, more three dimensional character. Like he's got more going going on than Tim. He's a more interesting character, I suppose. Like Tim is probably a more realistic character, but Dick is a more interesting character. Mm-hmm. I would say. Um, so it's hard for me to rank them, but I think I'd have to put Dick above Tim, and then, um, then probably Damien, and then probably Jason, and then probably, and then Stephanie. It's not, but I don't know. I, I like them all for different reasons. Stephanie is probably pretty solidly at the bottom, just because even though I really like her, I, the others are just so, mm-hmm. you know, so, such great characters, and and I feel like Jason. It's hard because Jason was not a very good character or a very interesting character or a very likable character or a very original character as Robin. Mm. And he was a terrible Robin. <laughs> but that's what made him interesting. Like, because they yeah. retroactively made that what's interesting about him is that that was a bad fit for him. And yeah. now he's sort of doing doing things his own way in a way right. that fits him better. Yeah. But because of the time he spent as Robin, he can't help but he feels like that pull to do things Bruce's way. Mm. And he kind of would even admit that that's probably the better way. But he's like, that's not who I am. I'm not the guy who does things the right way. Because he kind of already sees, he sees himself as too damaged. You know what Mm. I mean? Like he's really, he's 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 become a really interesting character. And for all the the guff that Judd Winnick got when he brought him back from the dead, it's like, oh, there's nothing sacred anymore. He was a terrible character then. And now it's just a cheap cash grab. You know, everybody's coming back from the dead these days. It actually took what was a pretty lousy character actually and made him one of the most interesting characters that DC has I think mm-hmm. in, in the Red Hood I think it goes without saying that you know if, if they these new Batman movies you know Matt Reeves Batman movie does well it wouldn't surprise me if like the sequel to that is mm-hmm. an adaptation of, of Under the Red Hood because that's now one of the most iconic Batman stories of the past 20 years um so yeah, so that would probably be my, in terms of my favorite, it would probably have to be Dick, then Tim, then Damien, then Jason, then Stephanie. As far as, um, as far as who's the better Robin, I think Dick 
is the best Robin, not just because he's the first, but because I think that he, and I think it's largely, a lot of it is because the time in which he was created, like all the characters in the 40s and 50s were like created to be two-dimensional and perfect. Mm-hmm. So of course he was the perfect partner to Bruce, right? But he he would challenge Bruce when he needed to be challenged, but he was there for him when he needed him to be there mm-hmm. for him. He was, he reminded him to lighten up a lot of the times, you know, yeah. Tim and Jason, Damien especially, have a tendency to like get inside their heads and be kind of grim and morose and mopey a lot of the time. Even Tim, he mopes in sort of an emo, sort of nerdy intellectual kind of way. Damien mopes Mm -hmm. in sort of like, oh, I've I've killed before and I will kill again kind of former assassin way. And Jason just has so much baggage. (laughs) Poor Jason. But Dick, like what makes what made him great was that he had all of Bruce's baggage or Mm -hmm. should. Right. But rose above it. And so he, in a way, like he inspired Bruce. Mm-hmm. Like Bruce inspired him, but he inspired him right back by showing him that you could rise above this, the, the trauma of, in a way that he had never really event. managed to. And so yeah. he was like Bruce's redemption in a way. Mm-hmm. They complemented each other so well and they supported each other. They challenged, He challenged him when he needed to be yeah. challenged. And even when he they had an argument and he left to become Nightwing or whatever, he mm-hmm. would always be there when he needed him. Yeah. You know, the ultimate example of that, of course, you know, you mentioned it before, but I... Wouldn't <laughs> when be, he was Batman, yeah. Well, yeah, well, like Bruce died and he knew... Like mm-hmm. he knew that he Gotham if he would, have, but he 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 knew that if it if it ever came to that, that Dick would step in, mm-hmm. um, because and Dick knew that it, it had to be him. Like mm-hmm. he didn't want to do it, but he knew he had to do it. Like he, and he was basically willing to throw away his entire the life that he had planned out for him, yep. and completely subsume himself in Bruce's mantle mm-hmm. because that was how much he cared for this guy that had raised him. He's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to put aside everything that I want to do with my life mm-hmm. and take on this other guy's role because that's how much he meant to me, you know? Yeah. And I feel like, and, and that's not, I mean, you just need to look at what the other characters did. Like, they didn't They didn't do that. Like, they had a Battle for the Cowl miniseries that other people wrote where all the different Robins were vying for the mantle. That wasn't really that well written. And that Morrison didn't write that stuff. Morrison wrote Bruce Dies. And then the next issue Morrison wrote, it's Dick and Damien in the car, in the flying car, mm-hmm. <laughs> fighting Professor Pig and Mr. Toad and the, and the circus lingo, um, Cockney rhyming slang uh, fairy tale guys. Yep. And he's like, well, of course it has to be dick like who else is going to be it's like other writers like oh we need to have this mini series in between where all the robins fight each other it's like no everybody would have known like even jason because they had the thing where all oh, jason dresses himself up as like this dark terminator batman and he wants to be batman with guns mm-hmm. and tim is like no it should be me it's like i i don't buy either of those guys thinking that they deserved it or would be good at it yeah. in any way like tim's whole thing was that he didn't want to be batman mm-hmm. you know yep. so anyway so i think i think dick was the best robin i think that second best i think I don't know. I think I'd, I'd have to give it to Tim also because Tim um, supported him in a different way when he needed it because coming off of Jason's death, yeah. t- Tim was exactly the Robin that he needed. He needed someone that, that was cautious and smart mm-hmm. and, you know, detail-oriented and not wasn't the kind that would throw himself into danger. But also but like, who like, was valued a, a the mission, though. Because uh, to keep in mind, like, even though Gotham City was in, in need of a Batman, Batman was not himself. And right. he knew that he would be broken unless he had a well, supported You know what they always say Robin. is that the people who most deserve so power Tim, are the people that don't seek it, right? Like, it, yeah. it's like oh, if only and we could find Tim, some way of choosing exactly. a president who is not one of the people who would want to run for president, you yeah. know? Yeah. It was the same with Tim. Tim didn't show up at uh, Wayne Manor saying... Uh, 
I, I should be the next Robin. Right. What he did was he levied his knowledge of Bruce and Dick's secret identity to try to convince Dick to be Robin again because he mm-hmm. could see that Batman was losing it in Jason's after Jason's death. Yes. But Dick didn't want to didn't want to go back to being Robin. So he's like, well, if Dick's not going to do it, you need a Robin. So I guess it has to be me. So I'm going to put my life on hold for a few years mm-hmm. to help you, and then I'm going to go back to my normal life. Exactly. He didn't want to be a superhero no. for the rest of his life. He didn't even want to be Robin really, and that's what made him a great Robin mm-hmm. for what Bruce needed at that moment. Yeah, and he valued the mission. He valued the city, and he knew what needed to be done in order to uh, put the put the train back on the tracks after yeah. Jason's death. And, and as far as and Jason, obviously terrible. <laughs> He's a terrible superhero. <laughs> He's terrible just about everything. But that's why everybody loves him. Um, Damien, I don't know. Like I love Damien as a character, and he's obviously like super effective at like pretty much every part he's of the a, job. Yeah. But I also kind of think he's not really a very good Robin because he's not really a team a, player. He's not a team player. He's not a partner. He's, he's not. He's yeah, he's learning. learning. But I feel like he's kind of more in the Jason side of thing, where he's kind of like a rehabilitation project that Bruce is undertaking, <laughs> and less so of like a partner. You know what I well, mean? Well, I mean, that's... I think it's it's true that like they were never they were never really a team. Like Bruce had Dick as a partner, mm-hmm. then Jason as a partner, mm-hmm. then Tim as a partner, but Damien was Dick's Robin. And when yeah. Dick stopped being Batman, Bruce took him under his wing and they, you know, in the manor and they mm-hmm. would go out and they'd work together, but it always felt like a father and son fighting crime together. And then they would also do their own thing a lot of the time. Right. It was never really, they were never true partners. They mm-hmm. were never Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin was Dick and Damien. And, and it was even the thing when Bruce came back to life, Dick and Damien stayed Batman and Robin for a while in Gotham while Bruce went and did the Batman Incorporated thing. And he even said to Tim, who was Red Robin by this time, he's like, no, you're my partner. Like the fact that I'm back, the fact that Damien is here doesn't change that he mm-hmm. said he said to Tim you're my Robin and you always will be and Damien and Dick can do their own thing over here because mm-hmm. Tim was feeling like well now that you're back and your son's right here mm-hmm. I guess it's curtains for me right but Bruce you know had yeah. that really nice speech to him so I don't know it always feels like that was it and Damien was always off doing his own thing it's even the case now like Damien's off running the Teen, Teen Titans, Titans or he's off doing whatever you Super know Sons, yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, he's much really... more he's a, more of an independent character than than really any other Robin was because Dick never had his own series as Robin. Tim was the first Robin to have his own ongoing series. But even then, in the Batman titles, he'd always be there too. It's just he would also he was also doing his own solo stuff. Ro- Damien is really the first Robin who has been Robin, but mm-hmm. and not real. And and yet the Batman books doesn't don't, don't really, really show him very him, much. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. he's always off doing his own thing. And so you can call yourself Robin. You can wear the costume, but I feel like that doesn't make you everything that a Robin should be. You know. Yeah. So that's why I'd be fine, like, if he eventually got his own name or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Like, John is presumably not going to be Superboy or whatever now, right? Now that he's older. You know, right. Damien could get his own name, you know, Talon, Red Wing, Red Bird, whatever they want to call him. And they could have Tim come back as Robin. Or I guess Tim is Robin again now. He's just got the one R on his crest now that he's over in the Young Justice book. They dropped right. that whole thing. Now there's just two Robins, which is fine. Um but yeah, Tim could go back to being his Bruce's Robin and Damien could do his own thing and I'd be fine with that. Like, I, I don't want any of these characters to go anywhere, but the names, you know, aren't as important to me. Yeah. So, yeah. So that would be my ranking. That was fun. <laughs> so should we move on to our shows? I am ready. So we've got some new shows and then some ones that we didn't get to last time. Yep. So Star Trek Discovery. Um, this one was called Perpetual Infinity. Well, let's let's list all the shows that we're Well, so Star about. Trek, Supergirl, Flash, Black Lightning, Arrow, and Doom Patrol. Yep. In some cases, episodes going back a few weeks. Yep. So, uh, Perpetual Infinity. So, a lot going on in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more with the Red Angel thing. So, we get to know Michael's mother more. Yeah. Um, they found an amazing actress for, for this She role. was on The Wire, apparently. And, like, everybody everybody that's any good, it, like, it was like, oh, man, she was great on The Wire. Like, that's 
especially if you're an african-american actor of a certain age i feel like the wire was like yeah a, a lot of great exposure for like a lot mm-hmm. of people of that generation just mm-hmm. because that was what it chose to focus on is like you know mm-hmm. inner city police life and so on um so i, I feel like that was uh, so she yeah so she did a really good job she had some great scenes with michael i love the fact that they really you could buy them as as mother and daughter like sometimes well sometimes yeah to, even, even to tough. the extent yeah. when when she was revealed at the end of the last episode for a second i didn't even realize it wasn't michael i yeah. thought it was um Sonequa martin green with some old age makeup on yeah yeah and I'm like wait oh wait is that a different That's, actress yeah. you know like i had to squint because they, they actually they really do look do, pretty similar yeah. yeah um and i love that um they they also speak they have similar speech patterns i think that um the actress maybe imitated part of maybe you could probably get away with it being different because burnham spent most of her life on vulcan so her inflections probably would have changed so you could have you wouldn't necessarily need to cast that or even act no i know know. be different yeah absolutely but i just i don't know it just there were there were moments where you could hear that they actually sound said a few things in a similar way which was like i don't know it's just it's another touch of of them being related but that scene oh no i have to skip ahead i have to talk about the scene where where they where she tells her that she's been watching her that she was there for all those moments i was a puddle of tears yeah that was a good scene oh my god i I felt i felt like i wanted one more scene in the middle there because they had the scene where she was cold to michael and she's like no i've seen you die so many times i'm not gonna let myself get emotionally invested and then they had the scene at the end where she basically opens up to her and tells her like i felt like i wanted a scene in the middle there where you see her facade start to crack a little you know where you see her start to warm up maybe somebody else tells her she needs to wise up because this might be the last time she mm. has a chance to talk to her daughter and she's like hmm that person might be right and then she opens up to Michael no I don't think that was necessary no, you know, know what I mean just, going into it like this is a sudden shift um, but it's I fine think, you, you got a lot that you want to cram into the these urgency episodes, so. of the timing yeah I know brought the, it on the, the and for me that was yeah exactly but there's, all, but there's always like this show is so fast paced that there's always extenuating uh, circumstances and this is a common fair. critique of the show is that they wish they would slow down and let the moments play a bit more let the characters breathe a bit more you know I feel like some of my favorite episodes this season like the one on um, was it Talos Talos 4 mm-hmm. or the one where they go to the um, Terralysium planet like those were probably my two favorite episodes of the season those are probably the two slowest episodes where there's oh, just yeah, like that's you know fair. what I mean mm-hmm. um, and they even they actually called back to that the Terralysium episode in this one because a lot of people were wondering well okay so the Red Angel is going back she's saving Michael she's doing whatever right. why did she re- relocate a bunch of humans from World War 3 to this planet yeah. and they just briefly off the cuff mentioned in this episode like oh she did it just to make to see whether the future could be changed basically it was like a test that she did Ooh. did you catch that no was michael was michael was reviewing her mother's logs and right. she's like oh she even moved the people to terra Elysium, confirming the fact that the future could be changed because if the future can't be changed yeah. there's no point in doing any of this right. right she could have just focused on getting back to michael and the moment that she left right but instead she realizes that now there's this bigger picture and she can affect it so mm-hmm. she sets about you know say only saving michael one could say only saving Michael in as much as it can help avert the future, yep. but obviously her own, you know, maternal instincts, yeah. you know, are factoring into that also, and the fact that she doesn't want her daughter to die. But um, yeah, and then we find out that the signals were not generated by were the not Red her, her doing. Yeah, she doesn't and know what so she's talking about. So I think it's about. probably safe That's to assume crazy. that Michael or the discovery or something in the future by the end I, of the season is going to create those signals. I wonder if there's something to be said about her not being able to perceive the signals because in all of her time travel well they she preceded didn't even... her arrival in each instance so exactly, she'd be unaware that's what of I'm them saying. yeah i know but 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 she she is 
she doesn't perceive time the same way that we do. So she has multiple you know points in history where she pops back in and 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 whatever else and and she presumably would have at least heard about the yeah uh, maybe the red but I mean if it's like, if it's if she's changing history if the signals are only there because like at the end of the season Michael goes back in time and creates the signals to whatever like if 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 um, her mother's actions lead to our characters retroactively creating the signals then then michael's mother wouldn't know about them because they right. weren't created until she started traveling you know what i mean like yeah that wouldn't be part of her recorded history that she is changing there they are a result of her changes so yeah. it's you know it depends on what model of time travel you're using whether it's a predestination paradox or whatever then she was always destined to make these changes and so the, her history would have recorded the signals or if she's actually succeeding in changing history um yeah i'm not sure i have a lot lot else to say about this one i mean there's the, you know leland is taken over by control yep. um I like that. I like that. Georgiou and Tyler almost immediately realizes something's up with this guy. Yes. I'm not sure I would. I would have. It's like, yeah, he's being creepy in like a slightly different way. But I think I would have just been like, yeah, this guy is a weirdo, and he's, you know what I mean? Uh, like he just got up on the wrong side of the bed today or something. But I guess Georgiou. I did like that Georgiou kind of seemed like she picked it up a little faster than yes. Tyler, even mm-hmm. because Georgiou comes from a, a universe where pretty much everybody is backstabbing everybody mm-hmm. else all the time. Yep. So she would have learned to be on guard for slight changes in character. Because oh, is this a not? This I is, love it. This isn't really so my, yep. my like bath attendant, you mm-hmm. know, over in the Terran Empire. It's secretly a shapeshifter or yeah, a hologram yeah. yep. intending mm-hmm. to assassinate me or whatever, right? So she would have, she has a whole lifetime of, of looking out for of those. street smarts having eyes on the yeah. back of your head. But this is very interesting too, because it was, it was his duplicitous nature. It was the fact that he was going back on commands that seemed to be important before, and now they were unimportant now. And the shifting of motivations, that sudden uh, gearing of, and, and justification for a vast shift in priorities for the missions that they were supposed to undertake. That's what clued her in, and that's what made and and his his verve for pursuing these new courses of action. That's I mean that would have put me on edge. Well, he was smart too because he sent Tyler over to to do the get the data or whatever. Yeah. But then when Tyler went all conscientious objector exactly he was smart enough to back off he's like oh you know you're right i see your point yes. like we'll think of another way to do it because if he kept pushing mm-hmm. you know then he overplays his hand so exactly. I, he was smart about that too yep. so a lot of people are saying and of course there's been a lot of crazy theories going around this season about oh you know cybok is going to be involved and then we're actually seeing all this other stuff it, I'm, a lot of people are getting like pretty heavy borg vibes from control and control well, taking the over the nanotechnology yeah, is so not something some people are like are we seeing like an origin story for the borg like because we know that the Borg originated in the... Delta wait, let me make sure I get this right. Delta Quadrant. Yeah. <laughs> um, hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. But time travels in play this season. Exactly. So what if they managed... What if they get rid of control by firing off... By flinging it back in you know, the Back in time into the Delta Quadrant. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that's the origin of the Borg. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. But that might, that might, That's maybe a little too on the nose, a little too perfect, everything wrapped up in a little package. Mm-hmm. But I could see them doing it. And it would be kind of cool if done properly. But I don't know. I'd, not everything has to be... Not everything has to be so interesting intertwined. You know, like the Borg can be their own thing that comes yeah, after exactly. us. They don't need to be, oh, they, we accidentally, you know, like not everything has to be the creation of humans or the result of human intervention. Yeah. Like we don't have to be at the center of every story in the universe. Not only that, but it seems more advanced than the Borg because it literally took over a, a, a body without trying to add those imperfections to it or the perfection. Yeah, will, what we know, we be assimilated what, what we know of the Borg seems to indicate that they were a regular organic species once that just 
got too enamored of their technology exactly. and let it subsume them. Exactly. And that the Borg Queen was like maybe like the chief proponent of that and that's yeah. why she became immortalized with the right. technology. They tried to enhance, enhance, enhance. I kinda picture her as like more, a more machine. You know, like a anything. like a like a Hitler type who kinda mm-hmm. like led her people down the wrong path and then she became like the head of this entire thing and became immortalized through the technology and everything like that's always kind of how I imagined it in, in my head I mean I guess what they could do is they could have the technology goes back in time and then we see it land on some planet and Alice Krieger comes out you yeah, know what I mean yeah. and, and it infects her and then you know yeah. like they, they could do that and it would be kind of cool and that's cool, the beginning but, of it yeah, yeah. But like the nanites or Susanna Thompson there. if they can't afford Alice Krieger because <laughs> they just sub Susanna Thompson in when they can't afford Alice yeah, Krieger that's funny um yeah, but I, I do hope they don't do that. Like, not everything has to be... To, Earth doesn't need to yeah. be the center of everything that happens in the universe. Like, it makes the universe feel smaller when... It does, doesn't it? You know, oh, because the reason... Whole different the reason why the, like, the reason why the Klingons don't have forehead ridges is because of humans. humans. The reason why the Borg exists is because of humans. The reason why Vulcan society completely reinvented itself is because of humans. of humans. A yeah. lot of these are because of the same human, you know? <laughs> like, Archer, like, completely reconfig- reconfigured the, the entire quadrant. quadrant. <laughs> and Doria. Yep, exactly. Color Prime, Vulcan. Yep. Kronos, like completely upended multiple civilizations, and for that he gets the Federation presidency. But that's nepotism for you. Um, oh, anyway, um, so Supergirl, I, I really, lo- I don't know. Like, I was this season has been good, but it's like hard to watch sometimes because of the really obvious political allegories that they're going for. Yeah. But John Cryer as Lex Luthor is just, I mean, we so sung his praises awesome. last week, but it's been a real shot in the arm for this season. I could have done without the couple of little bits where he has the bad CGI power armor on. You don't need that. Oh, I don't okay. feel like this version of Lex Luthor. I get what they're doing. Like this is supposed to be a Lex Luthor after all of his fights with Superman. So of course he could whip out the power armor sure. when he wants to. But I feel like... You don't really need that, especially on a TV budget. You just need him to be, like, creepy, yet somehow... um, He's brilliant. Yet somehow, like, emotionally honest guy when he's like... And the idea, like, yeah, it's a little, like, Martha, Mm -hmm. Batman v Superman thing, but when the red, for the sake of what what to call her, the red daughter... all she has in her mind is the name Alex, and of course, here comes Alexander Luther. Yeah, hi, um, I'm and Alex. she's like, "Oh, uh, she you goes, know, Alex," Alex? and then they imprint sure. upon him. Yeah, like that—that that was actually pretty clever. I mean, it does—it did remind me of the Martha thing a little bit. Like, it's a little too tidy, but it was—it was pretty clever to, to have that commonality. Yeah. Um, and and they didn't just—if it had just been that, like Batman v Superman, they didn't really—they didn't do anything with that. It was just like. And they didn't have to necessarily for what they were using it for. But it was like, oh, I realize that you are a person who has a mother with a name. And so that's going to get me to stop trying to kill you, right? Sure. It was a little facile. But I I don't know. That's obviously the big contentious moment of that movie for people. It it worked for me, but it didn't work for a lot of people. But here, they actually made more out of it. Like the fact that his name was Alexander and he was named for Alexander the Great. Like Mm -hmm. that was the thing they kept coming back to in the episode. Like how does does he see himself as Alexander the Great or does he see himself as Alexander the Great's father? And she is his heir, his gift to the world. They actually paid it off thematically. It wasn't just a one-off coincidence Mm -hmm. to serve the plot, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it ties so nicely back into the previous one too because the the plot of the last uh, episode before this with uh, um, him basically conning Lena into injecting him with right. the cure. It wasn't even for himself. Available. He gave himself the cancer himself. so that he could get the cure so that he could give it to her. And, it and of so course, fun. it's all ultimately self-serving because he wants to use her as a weapon. Yeah. But He's an opportunist after well, all. Well, that was the, the great thing about this episode. And I do like episodes like Battlestar Galactica did some of this too where they, they'll do an episode that shows that, oh, here's this new character or this new piece of information. Now let's go back and show how that character has actually been involved in events for years you just yeah. didn't know it so we see him like meet 
Eve Tessmacher and implant yeah. her within. Yeah, um, you were saying that uh, Te- Eve Tessmacher um, um, uh, was suddenly evil for all those things. But how did you feel about this? Because obviously, obviously, they did not do any mustache twirly. Eve Tessmacher, watch out for this one. M- wink, wink moments. So, and which was your criticism last time? Like that it would have been nice to uh, for for us, the audience, to have been. Giving I don't think a hint. you needed it for you what the story it. is because right, she's like the sixth most most important person exactly, in the story. And there's but. not a lot of time to go around there and it was but kind it did of fun to see her on the bit. show yeah it bothered you a little bit but how did you feel at the end of this show because what you just referenced about Battlestar Galactica like that they, they do that and it's really rewarding sometimes as a story mechanic so what did you think when you saw this episode were you more forgiving towards them I think them they did not? a good job of like completely retroactively and not at all with what was intended when they were writing those earlier episodes going back and inserting stuff in a way that seemed clever it, it, it worked but I don't for a second believe that they had any of this plan through or four years ago when they were originally creating the series and deciding which characters were yes, going to be wearing. Yes, but how do you feel? I liked it. It like, worked It worked for good. me. Okay, but, it, but, I, I, but I don't pretend that it was some master plan the whole no. time. It was like Battlestar Galactica where Ronald D. Moore was well making it done. up the whole time as he went along, you know? Sure. Um, but I thought it was very well done. I love the writing in this one. I love the writing in the last episode where you really got to see the character kind of... Mm, be mustache twirly and and so clever um last time i was touting about how i loved that he must have had all this forethought to to lay the traps in his own home knowing that he they might come in handy at one point but in this episode you really got to see him shine and planning well, the sequences this and planning in prison that. were great oh my god Getting, getting so himself great. out of prison, the scene, sequence where he's being walked out and he's like men, he's like playing yes, five playing. different games of chess mm-hmm. at the same time, and he, he timed it so that they were all checkmated simultaneously, so that he could as just he, walk as out. he walks out. <laughs> yeah, like it was a really great it was a really great great showcase for the character. Yeah, and and I thought Melissa Benoist did an excellent job as yeah. I mean even just even just performing while doing that ridiculous Russian. accent. Hey. First off, she nailed it. I, as as an Eastern European, um, well, Kazmian has always been a weird thing. Like they always, it seems like they've always just instructed the actors to just do like a generic Eastern European accent. No, it always it's not. To no, me. honey, you at have, to, on, you have on, to nail it down to more. There are lots of Eastern Europeans. I know, but on Justice League, if you, on Justice League, people that doing Kazmian accents, yeah. they were all over the place. Like they were just trying to do like generic bad movie Boris Natasha it Russian was very, slash. Yeah, it was you know very I mean? close to here. Russia. They've probably been a better. Like I'm sure this show because it's like a big budget live action TV they probably have like a dialogue coach and everything so they can be a bit more meticulous but the Kaznian whatever they were talking that was Russian basically why she had the Russian accent in the first place was because I wanted to say they actually were speaking Russian like the subtitled languages the sequences when they were speaking the other language I don't know how much you recognized it but I um I speak Polish and I know a little bit of Russian here and there so I actually did recognize it for as actual Russian and it makes sense because there are lots of Russian speaking countries in the world more than just Russia you know so what's tossing one more fictitious one into the mix so I think she did a great job with the accent I didn't I actually really liked her accent I didn't find it you know ridiculous or flawed in any way so I thought that you know to your point earlier yeah she did a great job with acting through the challenge of having that an accent too not everybody can do that but she she's so great and this one was so sympathetic um 
and I really like the way that for me did you read you read The Red Sun obviously oh yeah 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 so I don't know how it was in the story because I don't even know anything about that but I imagine that is very similar to what they did here how basically he was a tabula rasa or in this case she was a tabula rasa at the very beginning and then she well it's was not so much a question of being tabula rasa his Kal-El's rocket landed in the Soviet Union as opposed to in Kansas so he was a oh, baby oh see I didn't know that so here they split her into two yeah Entities. It was an alternate origin story for, for Superman. He was no more brainwashed by the Soviets than he was brainwashed by the Kents. He just grew up in a different culture with different cultural priorities so and a different view of the world. Yeah, but he this wasn't, is different. He wasn't, yes, so that's what this I'm saying. Very this is different. very different. Okay, yeah. So here she was. She Her innate goodness is visible to him from the very beginning, but he's seeking to manipulate it. He's well, not he, even seeking to stamp it out. He's just seeking to manipulate it to his own ends. So that yeah, that's, her motivations... That's why her, it's, it's a little less interesting than Red Sun, because Red Sun was like, this is still Kal-El, and it's like, whether it makes a lot of sense, realistically or not, that you would kind of be the same, you would kind of have the same spirit or soul or morality or whatever yeah. even if you were raised from birth essentially by completely different people in a completely different country mm-hmm. is that realistic maybe maybe not but like yeah nature versus thema- nature. thematically mm-hmm. it works like he was still superman mm-hmm. he was just superman with like a communist outlook and view of the world instead of cultural Priorities mm-hmm. as opposed to a traditionally American one. Mm-hmm. So he was still trying to do the right thing, protect people, keep people safe. He was just doing it, you know, from a slightly yeah. different angle. Whereas here, Luther is basically making her think that every that the that America is the devil, so he can use her as his weapon in his evil plan. So yeah. it's it's a little more simplistic here. Yeah. And in fact, in Red Sun, Luther was kind of like the closest the story had to a hero almost, because he was America's, in the absence of Superman, Luther, the great scientist, the great inventor, was America's like last Beacon. hope last hope against the communist threat, which was almost overpowering in, because they had Superman on their side, you know? Mm-hmm. So he was like America's hero, basically. Mm-hmm. And he was doing it largely for, to prop up his own ego, but he was still protecting what, right. we, what we would deem to be normally the good guys from the, you know, encroaching communist threat. So, anyway. Right, um, his payment plan was different, but he, his motivations were the same. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so the Flash. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have an episode this week, but the last couple of episodes dealt with the big cicada reversal yeah. where what's his name Orlin Dwyer Orlin I should Dwyer, know this yeah. by now Dwyer doesn't sound right but yeah I guess that's right Orlin Dwyer so Barry gets through to him mm-hmm. and he decides to be a good guy now and it turns out his niece from the future comes back in time uh, kills him mm-hmm. and is even more evil than yeah. he is yeah she's even more eviler she's than even the evil guy exactly how did you feel did you feel like his his change of heart was a little fast no I thought it was pretty well earned. I mean, yes, it was comic book fast, right? Because he spent the entire time being angry, angry, angry. But I think the motivation of seeing what his vitriol has done in terms of poisoning Grace um, is enough to wake him up. I think that's a good idea. And I agree that for his character, it's the kind of thing that would make him reconsider. I think, though, that they are... They're hamstrung by the format because he has to be the villain, or, or so we thought. Like, they have to make us think he's going to be the season-long villain, even mm-hmm. though now it turns out it's Grace, yada, yada, yada. But we're still 80% of the way through the season. So for all intents right. and purposes, he was the big bad for the season, for yep. the majority of the season. Because they know they got to do 23 episodes, that means they've got to string out his the villain part of his story for like 15, 16, 17 episodes, you know? And oh, then when okay. they want to turn him good... 
Mm -hmm. they have to they do it in one episode you know if this was like a movie Mm -hmm. you know like a two-hour movie you you because he's been like such a i mean he's 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 been an okay villain he's Mm -hmm. been a good villain but pretty two-dimensional in terms of like his actions and his like metahumans bad because hurt family now kill all metahumans right yeah because he's been such a like I don't know. I don't want to say a two-dimensional villain, but I mean, you, you know what I mean. Because mm-hmm. he's been such like a stock villain for the majority of it. And for like so many episodes, they've been always, Cicada this, Cicada that. We've got to stop Cicada. How are we going to stop Cicada? How are we going to find Cicada? How are we going to find out who right. he is? How are we going to stop him? Because he takes our powers. And then mm-hmm. we've got to go into the mind of it. You know what I mean? And then all so after like almost two dozen episodes of that, now in one episode, he he's turns into a good guy. So I think that I think that they had the right idea. I think that Was there's it no, one Yes, I think oh. <laughs> it was one. Was it really one? Yeah, he okay, decides. I thought that within Flash one episode, to him within one episode, Flash decides he needs to. So at the end of the last episode, mm-hmm. like we're going to offer the cure to Cicada. Then in one episode, they decide that what they've got to do is talk to him. Mm-hmm. Barry goes, talks to him, fails, reconsiders, goes and talks to him again, mm-hmm. convinces him to take the cure. Mm-hmm. He takes the cure. And then his niece comes in and kills a bunch of people and takes him away. That was all one episode. I suppose. So, so I, I feel like it was ri- this episode was written well. And for his character, it makes sense. But mm-hmm. I feel like because they knew they had to do 23 episodes and he had to be the villain for the season, we've gotten so much of him being the same one-note villain over yeah, and over and true. over that now when you suddenly change direction, it seems pretty jarring. If they'd had, like, he was a villain for two or three episodes and then you had this, I feel like it would work a lot better... Because you wouldn't have the sheer inertia of all of his one-note villain appearances. Like he's, because you feel like after so many times facing off, like he faces off the Flash against what, like 10, 12, 15 times. Yeah. Is he going to listen to anything this guy has to say now? Like I feel like they're hamstrung by that format. If they'd fight each other once, twice, three times, you know, like mm-hmm. the classic thing where the hero fights the villain, the villain wins. The hero's like, oh, who's this guy? Then they fight again. The hero almost wins, learns something crucial about the bad guy, and then they fight a third time. This is like the classic arc for like a superhero story. They fight a third time, and now the villain, the hero, uses what he learned last time and defeats the villain. Yep. But instead, imagine that, but there's 12 other fights in the middle there, and then all of a sudden the villain decides to turn good. So I feel like they kind of, I don't know what they could have done differently other than really front load the season with his arc, mm-hmm. which would have had its own problems. But that's, I feel like they made their own bad because they've decided they want to have a villain be the big bad for each season, you know? Yeah. And that means that you've got to have it be like this omnipresent threat. Right. And then mm-hmm. you either need to pay it off with them being the ultimate evil badass at the end, or if you turn them good, it, I don't, it can't help but be jarring because you've had almost a year of watching the heroes yeah. fail to stop this guy and now all of a sudden he's like, well, I didn't really mean it, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. Um, so I thought it worked well in the context of the episode, but it, it it was hurt by the structure of the show, which it can't really escape from. But I, and I, I am, I do feel like, I, I knew they were going to kill him because I'm like, that's, Dramatically, it works because oh, now she's gone. She's she's really gone too far now. Like before, maybe she could be saved, but now she's gone too far, and like she's 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 removed the last vestige of her humanity, and now she doesn't even know what she's fighting for, and like all these tropes, right? So mm-hmm. like I knew they were going to do that, but it would have been so much more interesting if you had this guy now hanging around. Mm-hmm. Who, who felt like he needed to atone for all of his previous actions by maybe he sacrifices himself to save her soul in some way, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or send her back to the field or prevent that future, yeah. you know, so that she could have the happy life. Like, he sacrifices to... himself to bring her out of the coma now 
so that she can have a happy life or whatever. Yeah. Instead of just, I feel like they did the most obvious thing. And I was like, oh, she's going to throw the thing. It's going to come back. It's going to hit him in the back. He's going to die. And she'll be like, now I'm the ultimate evil cicada mm-hmm. now. And it's like, I don't know. I felt a little, it felt yeah. really predictable. And not only that, but like, if they know that she's Grace from the future, then why doesn't somebody go up there to the little Grace right there and start telling her good stories about people, good stories about metahumans and starting to, no, seriously, it's a war of, it's a it's a battle of minds at yeah, this point, isn't I it, mean, right? Like he's poisoned this girl with her, her with his own anger. So what she really needs is therapy. They, the, the conceit is that she's already irretrievably poisoned by his words. And now anything that anybody says to her, she's just going to take as like, oh, this confirms what Uncle Orlin was telling me because now they're trying to turn me against him and they're trying to tell me that he was evil and all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how realistic that, the idea that someone could poison a girl's mind yeah, by talking yeah. to her when she's in a coma, like yada yada dark matter in her head, yada yada, like she's in a coma but not really, she's actually, you know what I mean? Like, Yes, they, they, watch they, the smoke over here. They had Ooh. the whole thing, yeah. that they tried to make it make sense, but it, I don't know, it just seems like, there, it seems there a are contrived. a few, right, there are a few um, holes to be poked in it, yeah, sure. But I, I like, much like what we said with Arrow, and we'll talk about Arrow in a second, but much like what we said about Arrow, where I like, I think when they recontextualized the future stuff as being a story about Oliver and Felicity's kids yeah. trying to clean up after their parents' mess, I feel like this season, even though they haven't really, they kind of a little bit in the thing where Nora went into her mind, they kind of hinted at it. Yes, they did. But I feel like we're so late good. in the season to be revealing the theme of the season, but if the theme of the season ends up being like, here's Barry's daughter and Cicada's daughter, like here are the two different parenting styles, basically, like, do you, do you you, huh. do you know you what go. do you yeah. te- do you teach your child to be you know do you show them to teach them about the best of the world and teach them to be a hero and optimistic or do you tell them that everyone's you know what I mean like right. do you do you instill your do we raise our kids with hope or do we raise our kids with fear basically and mm-hmm. so here's a child that was raised each way mm-hmm. and now they you know and they're both come from the future mm-hmm. you know they both they both came back to try to live up to their father's or surrogate father's mm-hmm. legacy mm-hmm. and see them because they never got the chance to spend much time with them when they were around you know mm-hmm. like clearly they're setting them up as as, as mirror images of each other yes but again it's like it's way there's like five episodes left it's like way late in the season I feel like unless they do it perfectly to be all of a sudden oh now here's the big thematic point of the season yeah. you know like if they'd revealed her earlier A his arc would have seemed less North jarring and B you would have gotten more way. time to so let me ask you what did you think about um, the way that Nora's secret was revealed that he she has been working with the reverse life I thought that scene mm, I thought that scene was a little bit week um, I can understand how she was flabbergasted at being confronted and exposed with the truth, but she was literally about to tell everybody in the room, and then Sherlock goes and he's like, oh yes, the stuff that I have been investigating for a long time has finally come to fruition, and I shall tell everybody, and yeah, that you was, shall be that shocked. Was, that and was all. hard to watch because you really feel for her, but I don't yeah. feel like it was... It was poorly written around her character like Sherlock seems like the kind of guy that would just drop the hammer like that yeah uh, yeah but she, the, the, the thing that bothers me is that she was literally about to tell them all anyway yeah that's why it's like dramatically ironic is because she was about to tell them and she probably would have done it in such a way that they would have been less mad at her but because right. Sherlock revealed that now they're like oh she never told us she, maybe she was never going to tell us she was keeping this from us you know but see that's the thing though like don't they have the memory of uh, from from 30 seconds ago like are they goldfish all of a sudden like goldfish all of a sudden like do they not remember the part where well, she said well they're mad at her uh, guys, they're mad I'm, at her now I'm, because I they feel betrayed so they're not they're not really thinking yeah. clearly as evidenced by the fact that Barry literally locks her up in the pipeline which seems yeah, like a little harsh uh, it's obviously a massive overreaction but I feel like that's it's kind of 
It's at the far end of what you would buy from his character, but I didn't. I didn't that's think that's That's the superhero version of you're grounded. Well, that's. I mean, I feel like <laughs> go to your room. <laughs> it's an, I feel like that was. That's an interesting way to do it. Like it's just this close to being out of character for him, but I feel mm-hmm. like that's the way that, like he and a lot of other superheroes in these shows are like. That's kind of just kind of the way they think, you know. Like you're either on my team mm-hmm. or you're. A threat. Or you're a threat. And like you were working with the reverse flash, you come, you know, about yeah. all the problems he's had with not just the reverse flash, but with like people coming from time travelers, people claiming to be something and it turns out that they're not. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. these other problems. He's like, he's, he's been around the block so many times. He's like, okay, until I know what this is, I can't afford to trust you. Like, because yeah. he's, he's, they've all been screwed over so many times. All the, all the characters in all these shows mm-hmm. by people claiming to be one thing and turning out to be something else or betraying them or secretly coming from an alternate earth. Like, he doesn't know what the heck she is. Maybe she's been lying about everything. Maybe she's the uh, his daughter from Earth 2 and she's secretly evil or something. Like, he doesn't know. And so he's like, if he stopped and thought about it for a second, and I'm sure the very next scene will be Iris talking to him and saying, why did you do that? We need to talk to her instead of locking her away, yeah, you know? Yeah. But I feel like it is... And I feel like, I mean, the the... The fact that it's Thawne, the fact that Thawne is involved kind of makes you buy it. Because yeah. if it was anybody else, if it was like, oh, I've been secretly working with Grodd or something. like Or Zoom, even. Even Zoom, yeah. But I mean, because it's Thawne, Thawne is like right. the big the red button for him. It's like, yeah. you were working with Thawne? Okay, I, now I can't trust anything anymore, you mm-hmm. know? So mm-hmm. I feel like you kind of... And, and I feel like they wanted to go out because then they knew they were going on hiatus for a few weeks. So it's like, we need to have the big dramatic end, cliffhanger ending mm-hmm. where she's, you know... Anyway. Um so Black Lightning, the final two episodes of the season. So good. Um, so the the big things here. So Jennifer um, becomes Lightning mm-hmm. full time, mm-hmm. and uh, with the the suit and everything. Um, there's a lot more going on with um, with uh, uh, Doctor Jace and the yep. the metahumans. Mm-hmm. So you got the mas- masters of disaster there. They what have kind is... of an, they have kind of an awkward fight in, in a drainage tunnel there. <laughs> That was a weird fight, wasn't it? Like, it just seemed like everybody was, like, kind of standing around while a couple of guys fought. Like, the choreography wasn't great. It's like, Mm. you didn't feel like this big epic throwdown between the heroes and the villains. It's like, okay, these two guys are going to fight, and this guy's going to hold them in place for a while while Mm -hmm. everybody else just stands there. Yeah. And then this guy's going to, anyway. Water powers to use to drown. Yeah. I mean, I didn't hate it. I, hmm. It wasn't, like, the greatest thing I ever saw, but I didn't think it was bad. I, that fight scene was a little underwhelming to me, but it wasn't supposed to be like the big, right, be all end all yeah. thing. the the big The big climax of the season was, you know, Jennifer goes and she's got Tobias Whale dead to rights, and she so can electrocute good. him, and then Jefferson convinces her not to. Mm-hmm. Um, it did seem a little sudden to me that, like, after everything he's done over the past two years, now is when the shadowy government organization decides to. Yeah, lock him up off him screen. Up and, yeah, that like was we don't a see him strange. after after everything we've gone through with him. We don't get the catharsis of seeing him be like cuffed and and walked away yeah, like the perp walk. And, just, just, and then that's not what they're going for because they want him to be di- they wanted to disappear him basically. So they wouldn't have done the perp walk with him with cameras and like the flashing right. light, you know, mm-hmm. the flashing bulbs of the cameras and everything. That the don't, media don't exist anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, because they wanted to disappear him basically. But I'm yeah. like, why now? Like, why not? Two years ago, when he started, when it must have been obvious to the secret government organization, because the secret yeah. government organization was working with. Remember the, the evil racist guy that was running the ASA in yeah. the first season, mm-hmm. or this branch of it anyway, was like secretly working with Whale yep. to destabilize yep. Freeland or whatever mm-hmm. to distribute the green light. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was a good conclusion for the season, um, and they, they. I don't know. I the. I think season one had a had a 
season one felt cleaner like the ending felt cleaner and remember how season one ended where they mm-hmm. all, all the roads kind of con- converged the whole family was like holed up in this cabin there's all the forces of the bad guys were descending upon them and they had to defend themselves in like this last stand yep um, I remember that was great like that that really felt like the whole season kind of led to this mm-hmm. and it was the one clean like okay here's one one location one storyline everybody's here everything's come to this one point and now it's gonna like expl- the situation's gonna explode mm-hmm. whereas this finale felt a lot more scattershot like ev- there's characters in a lot of different places a lot of different things going on mm-hmm. a lot of different storylines intersecting a lot of big reveals mm-hmm. a lot of shock reversals mm-hmm. it, it felt it felt a bit more scattershot it didn't feel quite as yep. you know yeah. dr- dramatically clean as the first season and then we get the the tease going to next season where creepy Bill Duke shows up in their house there. That's bad. That's a bad day when Bill Duke just shows up in your living room, by the way. <laughs> um, and he's, is, is, is he like the creepiest guy he on TV? He's so great. Um, oh, he's magnificent. I remember him, the only thing I, I know he's been in a million things. The one thing I remember, the one thing that I've seen him in was the one Battlestar Galactica Galactic episode. A lot of people think it's the worst episode of Battlestar Galactica, which is the one uh, I think it was called the Black Market where Lee... Apollo uh, gets himself involved in the black market because he's sleeping with this woman who was like in with them. Do you remember this? And he gets himself involved in the black market, tries to shut the black market down from the inside, and Bill right. Duke was the guy running it. Oh, I forgot about that. That's a that's a really forgettable episode. It was it was not it was not very good. Probably the mm, worst episode uh, yeah. that season anyway, if not the whole show. But um, but yeah, that's the one thing I've seen him from, and he was appropriately creepy there too. But he shows <laughs> up and says, "Oh, the Markovians, mm-hmm. the Markovians are coming. The Markovians like, are coming." Let's basically. cut the pretenses, and not only that, but he's standing in their living room telling them he knows everything about who they are, and he's not here to fight, and he's not here to expose them. He is here to work with them because they have a common interest, and they better set aside. Yeah, it. it's gonna he's gonna. To turn into kind of a good guy now. The, yeah. It's going to be the reversal. That we the think he's funny, we think he's the creepy mad scientist, the creepy guy, the creepy government guy that's going to like try to I use everybody as weapons. And he is he his motivations as awful as his well, it's the personification is. Government he, government guy yeah. is willing to do whatever it takes. The ends exactly. justify the means, but exactly. he actually you know mm-hmm. knows what's up, kind of thing. The whole Amanda Waller, yep. million other government yep. spook characters, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was a good conclusion, but I, I don't know. Like it, it felt so. How do you? So this is the only season finale we have this week. How do you feel? Season two stacked up to season one. Oh man, it was so good. I also you you forgot the entire part about Grace Joy too. The little the three or four episode arc of yeah, her investigating. There wasn't any like, of that in the is. finale. She's, so no, there was. Not in not in the finale finale. I think there might have been some in, in part um, one of the two parts. Yeah, but, or, she, or certainly realized, in the several episodes prior to that. She, uh, um, Nissa realized that. Anissa, Nissa, Anissa. Is on, that's right, that's right. Anissa realized that. Um, this is in two of our other shows. Yeah, <laughs> not this one. I, huh? She's Nissa. Nissa is in. Um, Two of Arrow shows? and now Gotham. Oh right. Although we're yes. not talking about Gotham this week. No, because we don't have Gotham. Right. Um. No, she. Uh, anyway, Anissa realized that uh, Grace Choi is, well, um, is a metahuman, and that's probably why she ran away. And she doesn't know that Anissa is Thunder, so that's groundwork. She made too. a heck of a logical leap. She's like, wait a minute, I remember her eyes changing, yeah. and the weird martial arts old guy that I fought also had eyes that changed. So they must be the same person. She must be a shapeshifter. Like, why would you assume that? Why wouldn't you just assume like he's her father, and so they have the same metahuman traits? Or they're all from like the no. same something or other, well, I mean, or they've both on, been experimented on in the same way. Like, no, hang on, hang on, because Gamby has had been talking to her about the investigation and the the half-eaten 
carrion that was in her yeah, apartment. Yes, so you see a half-eaten animal and you don't automatically assume shapeshifter either. Like, it just felt no, like... No, but that's what Gamby was saying. Like, that that would make sense if this, this, this. And he listed shapeshifter as one of like, the potential that things. That felt like the writer's trying to... like Maybe. There's maybe, no logical reason why she would have jumped to shapeshifter other than the fact that the writers needed to needed to get her there in that scene. There's so many other more... Well, lo- there were some... Within the fantastical no, reality of this show, I feel like there's so many more logical explanations... Like she's well, they they don't have magic users in this in this continuity. No, but like yet, but like gen, like literally, she has multiple people in her family that have the same lightning powers, so? right? So she wouldn't, uh, you know, you wouldn't assume that they're the same person, just a shapeshifter. So you have yeah, but none two, of them have half eaten horses in their rooms. Yeah, but that doesn't equal shapeshifter. <laughs> no, it does equal. Well, that equals I mean, cannibal of some kind, or at least carnivore. <laughs> carnivore. Of some yeah. Kind. No, it's um. Oh, what's her name? Um, Gamby said that. It's a symptom of I don't know. They didn't really yeah, go into it. I'm like, that, like that's a very strange. <laughs> that's not. That's not I a thing. I know that's not a thing, but who knows? Maybe in this mythology it I, is. Like, yeah, because the writers decided to make it that way. Well, just so why they with the horse then? That doesn't make any sense. Like, it, it's I agree there. that the horse Chekhov's didn't make horse. any sense. But it did pay off though, because that's how. Uh, yeah, they were that's able the writer saying we need a shifter on the list. That's the writer saying, okay, we've written this episode. We need a we need a way in which Anissa can realize that that Grace is a shapeshifter. Let's 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 put a half-eaten horse in the previous scene, then have Gamby say something about how shapeshifters love eating horses <laughs> and then she'll realize it's a shapeshifter yeah that's right and oh. everyone will suspect the dog the light bulb moment Ding. yeah yes um, <laughs> hilarious so I think I think I enjoyed I think I, I enjoyed, enjoyed season one more um, really? just because it felt it felt I don't know I think season two I enjoyed the first half of season two more than the second half mm. um, I felt like and this was kind of my worry after season one is that the more fan- the more fantastical the show got, the more they got dealing with metahumans and government conspiracies and secret bioweapons and stuff. You knew what this was. The more that it would lose <laughs> what I thought made it really good in the first season, which is like the down-to-earth, like oh, Jefferson in the school, Jefferson and his students. Yeah, they the, did have to the, move away the from church, the church, the gangs, the, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like, you know. Yeah. Missing children, stuff like that. But the more fantastical the show got, the less kind of interesting it got because mm-hmm. I felt like that was what made this. Sh- like, if you want secret government agencies and metahumans everywhere and all sorts of crazy superpowers, you've got literally half a dozen other shows on the same network for that. Yep. I felt like what made the show, like, I would have been perfectly happy if Black Lightning and maybe his daughters were like, and maybe Tobias Whale mm-hmm. were like the only superhumans on the show. Yeah. And everything else was just like him dealing with Tobias Whale and the gangs and trying to keep his students on the straight and narrow and, and raising his kids and everything, you know? Yeah. There's more than enough story there to last for a few years without having to get into all this other stuff. But I guess that's, you know, it's not the story they wanted to tell. But I felt like the story they're telling now is less interesting to me personally than the story they were telling for in the first season. season. Oh, and I knew this is where it was going to go because all the seeds were there in the first season. Yeah. And I remember saying this a year and a half ago. I was like, I, they're setting up a lot of stuff with this government agency yeah. and these other metahumans that I can, it, if it's going to get too fantastical for me and it's kind of... Reaching that point for you. I mean, I the other it. shows are perfectly it. fantastical and that's fine because I feel like that's kind of built into their DNA. This one, I feel like the heart of the show is the down-to-earth stuff of like him and his kids, him mm-hmm. and his students, the gangs, Tobias Whale, his manipulations, you know, right. and not all this, not like an invasion from Markovian superhumans. Like that could be cool, but I, that's not, to me, that's not what the show is at its heart, you know? Yeah. So, but oftentimes these CW shows will go through a year or two where they kind of get a bit too big for their britches. Like Arrow had those couple of seasons where it was all about resurrection and magical powers, and then they brought it back down to earth for mm-hmm. the last couple of seasons because they kind of realized they went a bit 
too far, far from where the show's core was. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see if they kind of do a course correction here. Or maybe for all I know, the ratings are higher than ever and they won't do anything because everybody working on the show feels like they're mm-hmm. making the best episodes yet. So maybe it could just be me. But I feel like, you know, I mean, yeah. these show, the CW shows kind of get it, kind of tend to get a bit too far up their own butt for a couple of years yeah. after the first season. And then they kind of course correct. Like Arrow did it, Flash did it. Legends of Tomorrow got their bad stuff out of the way in season one and then got great, you know? Mm-hmm. So who knows? Yeah. Um, so Arrow, so we had, so there's three episodes, we're going to talk about all of them in, in detail, but there was Training Day, which is the one where Team Arrow kind of has to go through police boot camp and decide whether they're going to do it the police way or the yeah. Team Arrow way. And then you had Star City 2040, uh, 2040, too many 40s, not 2040, 40, that's too many years in the future, um, which was the whole future episode. <laughs> yep. And then you had the recent one, which was Inheritance, which is the whole Emiko is secretly evil and running the ninth circle yeah, which by the way kind of the ninth circle is a thing um thing yes so and i feel like see this is this reveal worked this like secret reversal worked better for me because we've seen it's been multiple episodes of seeing mm-hmm. emiko getting to know her multiple episodes probably more episodes than i would have liked of the whole who is this dante thing what's the deal with this painting we got to infiltrate the like yeah you know um so that when now when the dante is revealed to be the head of the ninth circle and then or so we think and then it's revealed that emiko actually is mm-hmm. That feels like it was set up properly because it's been many episodes now of setting up these plot threads and now they converge in a satisfying way at the end of the second arc, you know, second act of the season that going into the third act. That was such a good you know? thing. You remember last time I actually, I was, I put on a little bit of a feminist hat and I was like, why didn't they, they had such a great opportunity to reveal Dante as a powerful female character and subvert, every, subvert everybody's expectations that well, it's now we know another that dude. Rightly and or now, wrongly, they just kept it the same as the comics, you know, like they could have changed it, but wasn't Dante, I think was a man in the comics. No, right. I know that, but he was the leader of the thing. But now we have Emiko right, leading the, the reversal, whole thing, yeah. and I love it. I am here for it. I love it so much. She threatens him, and he he sort of puts his tail between his legs, and I was like, what's happening right now? So, and then it's revealed that she actually got promoted above him. And yeah, so- which I guess, I guess that can happen. It's just yeah. it seemed, would seem a little quick. But anyway, um, so yeah, I, I feel like, so my, my issue when they introduced Emiko was, I feel like it would have been more interesting to introduce her as a younger character instead of just like another remember we were talking oh, about yes. this mm-hmm. because she's like this she's like Damien she's like she's like the female Damien kind of in the comics she was raised by the yeah. bad guys yeah. but decided to become a good guy but she's got like this assassin past and she doesn't quite trust her own instincts mm-hmm. because she's a killer and all this other stuff but they introduce her as you know another 20 or 30 something and she's like oh she's just a peer with the other characters on the show and she's another archer character another mm-hmm. another badass martial artist so i'm like that kind of took away a lot of what was like if you introduce damien wayne and he's like the same age yeah. as all the other robins yeah. what makes damien cool is he's this little pint-sized yeah. badass yeah, right yeah. like he's not the guy you think could lay waste to everybody else but he does but he does yeah um so you make him <laughs> the same age as dick grayson and that's less interesting so yes. i felt like they kind of but this is now now i feel like okay you i don't know maybe they still could have done it if they'd found a really good actress but if they'd introduced her as like this 15 year old Mm -hmm. and so you suspect her even less of being secretly evil and Mm -hmm. then now it turns out she's like this this princess of crime basically she's like this 15 year old that's running this criminal empire that would have been kind of interesting maybe less realistic maybe less realistic realistic. so i think the reason why they cast older now is because they knew they were going to do this so it's it kind of redeems that earlier decision for me but i feel like now they're kind of stuck with two maybe they'll do something really interesting but i feel like the history of the show indicates they're going to go one of two ways at the end of the season either oliver either she's going to redeem herself in the end and like heroically sacrifice herself to destroy the ninth circle or something or 
she's or it's going to be like Oliver is going to be unable to save her mm-hmm. and she's going to die like cursing his name or doing something really evil and then Oliver's going to be racked with guilt because this is another member of his family that he wasn't able to save, save. And then, so I feel like don't you feel like those are like the two most likely options? Yes. And we've seen both of those so yes. many times before. Yes. I feel like now they're kind of locked into either one of those outcomes. And I hope they come up with something interesting, dude, that's not one of those. Mm-hmm. That'd be interesting. You yeah. know? Because I, I don't know. like as, <gasps> Maybe that's how Oliver dies. He saves her. I don't think they're going to. They're not going to do that, though. And not at the end of this season, anyway. At the end of next season, maybe. But not uh, not um, not this one. And, and then so so that's. So that stuff was interesting. Like I, the idea of her being, I'm like, she all of a sudden she has this red costume. So I'm like, oh, is she going to be Red Arrow now? Because mm-hmm. there's one thing that they haven't had on the show is someone literally calling themselves Red Arrow, mm-hmm. but they joked about it and done whatever. But they've had Speedy and Arsenal, but they never did the you know the Red Arrow name. Mm-hmm. I guess they could still do that, right? She could still redeem redeem didn't, herself. Didn't at the end. Thea want to go as Red Arrow for a little while? I think yeah, that was what I'm saying. With they kind of joked about it. Like I think she wanted to call herself Red Arrow, but Oliver insisted on calling her Speedy in the field, right. so it just kind of stuck. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, and then so the 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 future stuff was interesting too. I I think the most interesting stuff for me in the future stuff, just because now that we know the show is ending, all of the stuff, all of the scenes in the near future mm-hmm. with like Oliver and like Oliver's one scene in the episode was him and Felicity there during uh, Mia's birth. Yep. S- just see, and we were like we were doing the math on this. I'm like, okay, if Arrow is ending after a half season next year, that means it will be ending around. November, which if the show kind of progresses in real time is around when Felicity would be delivering, assuming mm-hmm. she's like three months pregnant or so by now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, is that, are we seeing basically a preview of a scene we're going to see in the final episode? Like, yeah, have they actually are they going to give, film this? is she going to give birth to Mia? And then Oliver's going to be like, whoop, got to go fight in this crisis thing now. And he never comes back. Yeah. Like, is that, is that what they're setting up? Because we never see him after that. And again, they're being really cagey about where he is. I mean, the obvious implication is that he's dead. Otherwise, all the characters would be saying, well, why isn't dad here? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the implication. But I feel like they're being circumspect enough about it that it could be something else. Like mm-hmm. he could be off. Yeah, they something, didn't, they didn't define be, it yet. Or he could be presumed dead. Like mm-hmm. we, the audience, know he's alive, but all the other characters think he's dead. Yep. Keeping the room open for a possible guest appearance mm-hmm. in the final episode of, you know, whatever Arrowverse show like he could come back 10 years from now or whatever I don't know um, so that that stuff was interesting just from like a logistics perspective mm-hmm. like wait are they setting this thing up and I love just the one the one scene and maybe might actually be my favorite scene like Nissa is just there yeah. for like 30 seconds and like she gets one line if that I don't even mm-hmm. remember if she speaks but that was just such a cool thing like because you've got you've got a show that's been around for seven years you have this deep bench of characters yep. you just have her in there for 30 seconds like of course Oliver and Felicity would bring Nissa in yes. they probably bring they probably brought she's probably like one of a parade of aunts and uncles mm-hmm. that came by like Flash probably came by to teach her how to do this and you know mm-hmm. They're like, oh, bring in Heatwave to show you how to do, you know, like... No, hang on a sec, because nobody on Team Arrow that's knew. That's true. That's true. They, they could trust, like, the secret... Yeah, the secret, The secretive... Yes. Uh, the secret society lady. The but they, shadows, You're yeah. right about that. But I don't know. They say nobody knows. But don't you think that... I think that some of their closest friends... I don't know why nobody friends, would know. Don't you think, like, Diggle and Barry and a few others might actually know that they're out there? Like, what, what, what could it hurt? telling a few of their closest I think what they mean is like the world believes them to be dead or the world doesn't know where they are but I think that you know especially if, like, if they're going to bring in Nyssa like they realize she needs to be trained like she needs to be able to defend herself if they're right. going to bring in Nyssa then I imagine that what we didn't see is a parade of 
like Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne style. They're going to, you know, he's mm-hmm. going to learn the, the best skill from the best person, you know? Mm-hmm. So he like had a hundred different masters as you travel the world. So like, let's bring in, let's bring in uh, wild dog to show you how to handle firearms. Let's bring in heat wave to show you how to, you I mean, know. they could, but obviously wild dog was one of the people that didn't know that she had I know, babies. But I, so. just, I just imagine that there was, that they had a, a bunch of cool, like guest lecturers no. for her, her childhood. It would be nice, but no. Why Nissa then is the one person. Probably because they're like, like you said, there's the one person. That's the one person they could trust to, a, not have a stake in, I don't know, any backstabbery that Felicity was protecting her from, and b, be secretive about the fact that the girl even exists. I guess would they really trust Nissa more than they would trust, say, Barry? I guess Barry's not the best at keeping a secret. Probably not. But Nissa did used to. He'd but needle Nissa, him for but years. But Nissa has been evil for like ninety nine percent of her life, so it's it's a bit of a toss up. No. Well, she was Rachel Ghoul's loyal heir for the majority of her life. Yeah, but she's still a good person. Now, sure, <laughs> but I mean, so, if you're if you're gonna your if you're gonna rank trustworthiness of people on these shows, she's trustworthy. But is she as trustworthy as some other people I could name? I, I don't think so. Um, but all, all the future stuff was interesting. I mean, seeing. Seeing the characters, seeing the characters like do their thing, was fun. Like seeing this this future generation, you know. And now that right. we know that Connor Hawk is, I guess he's Bronze Tiger's son, and why he's being raised by the Diggles, we don't really we don't really know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, seeing and, and they did they did have a lot of cool moments, like the moment where um, Mia she's got like this. They they had to do the thing where they're all wearing like it's a costume ball or whatever, so they're all wearing like the cloaks. Yeah. But then they lets her do the thing later where she's wearing a hood and she's yeah. got like the billowy the, cape and she's got and the, the she bow takes and the last arrow. bow and arrow yeah. shot. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I was there for it. I, but I love the, it. But I love there's it a lot. so I'm trying to remember exactly how it ended now because she took down she stopped the explosions, but mm-hmm. didn't didn't it turn out now that there's the threat is not over, right? I'm trying to remember exactly how it resolved. That wasn't the end of the future stuff. Didn't isn't the threat continuing to to be out there? Yes, correct. Um, so they're still running away. She was uh, Felicity was supposed to be the calculator, and the guy who was running. Oh, now the they're CEO, outlaws. That's right. Yep. Now they're outlaws, mm-hmm, right? Because Renee away. was Renee was forced to was forced right. to. Uh, mm-hmm. He was forced to admit that he was wrong. For um, he, he was forced to run away. Not recuse himself. He he was forced to basically throw them under the bus, even though we know that he was secretly now on their side. Um, right, because they're the evil vigilantes. So this right. is the this, so this is the thing: the vigilantes in the future are like that's that's like a dirty word. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're seeing in the present Felicity creating the Archer program. Program, yep. So, so I'm I'm trying to imagine what scenario could result in like if the Archer program is seen as like being synonymous with Green Arrow and the other vigilantes in some way, like maybe they use the... Because we're seeing her, she's already kind of overstepping her bounds, right? Because she's using this program to like find people, track mm-hmm. people based on their DNA, do all sorts of stuff that's not exactly above board. If if Team Arrow uses this thing in the finale mm-hmm. to to try to stop some big threat, like to try to stop the Ninth Circle, but everything goes wrong mm-hmm. and the public knows that the vigilant, the Team Arrow, like, oh, we try to like... Sh- uh, Fool us once, shame on you. Fool us twice, like like okay, we're gonna forgive you, Oliver Queen, and we're gonna be okay with you guys working with the police. But now, if you secretly cause a bunch of people to die because of your secret computer program mm-hmm. or whatever, now, no, never again, basically, right? Right. So I feel like that's kind of what they're they're building Going towards. For, yeah. Yeah. So Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. So we had a bunch of episodes that we you know we'll kind of take high level. So there was 
the conclusion of the whole thing with the you know the eye in the sky thing right yes. turns out the dog is has got the the book on it um then the episode that um introduced us to the I guess you want to say the. I guess you would have to call them like the original Doom Patrol, for lack of a better yes. term. Because even though our guys have been around for longer, yes, right, and are still around now, this was the first team in this universe, I guess, that was actually officially called the Doom Patrol, right? And they were out there being a team um, together in full light of everybody and doing good works for right. humanity. And so I guess we're, we're to assume that our team probably at the end of the season will take the name for themselves as kind of a point of pride. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just trying to like redeem the name after the, you know, yeah. either, I don't know. It's always like, it could either be a point of pride. Like, you know what I mean? We're going to, right. we're going to get Mr. Nobody as the Doom Patrol to make him pay for what he did at the previous Doom Patrol. Or it's going to be kind of like, yeah, we're just as messed up as those as guys, are. so we might as well own it, right? Like, we're probably going to fail just like they failed, so we might as well own it, right? right yeah. Like, that's I, either way could work. I feel like the latter is probably more in keeping with the tone yeah. of the series, you yep. know? Like, they go on some crazy suicide mission to stop Mr. Nobody, so might, they might as well call themselves the Doom Patrol, even if only in jest, right? Right. Um, and then the, the most recent episode of Therapy Patrol, where they uh, Cliff encourages everybody to... It's kind of like... Um, it's a series of vignettes that all culminate at the end. Yeah, Cliff has great. convinced everybody to undergo a therapy session because he's secretly being messed up. Mm-hmm. His wiring is secretly being messed up inside by a rat that was convinced to do so <laughs> by Mr. Nobody. Um, this show is crazy. <laughs> yeah, he definitely seemed... It was smart, actually, because they set up that he had this hole in his arm yeah. from before when mm-hmm. Vic's finger got like lodged in there. Yeah. And then they pay it off now. And he did seem like he was... They did it well. And, and I feel like Brendan Fraser played it well, too, because at first he just seems like really earnest... Like, yes. he's just really gung-ho about this whole sharing thing. thing. Yeah. But as the as it goes on, you're like, he almost seems like manic or something. Like, mm-hmm. he's seeming mm-hmm. really, almost really out of character. And the other characters are starting to comment on it, too. And then it, it culminates, culminates in, in a, this. another breakdown, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the little bits we see, like I don't know, I love all the flash, the flashbacks in this show, like all the, all the, all the, all the, all of Larry's flashbacks. I guess they weren't really flashbacks here. They were like pleasant, pleasant. Dreams, dreams that the negative spirit was trying to give him that he yeah. was rejecting. Yes, yes. Because he thought that he, he questioned the motivation behind them mm-hmm. or he felt like because they weren't real, he didn't mm-hmm. deserve that kind of happiness. Mm-hmm. And also, it's like, really, inter- really, this version of the character is really, I think, the most interesting the character has been. Adding the whole, like, closeted gay aspect to his backstory really, yeah. really caused, really brings the character together in a way that in previous versions that I've read don't really have that sort of moment that really brings the character into focus for you and mm-hmm. it, that really did that here and we see actually we see a lot of their childhoods in this one we see rita you know the, yeah. the rita fire thing is just a stage name we see her meeting like an older actress who you know she idolizes and kind of wants to be like yes um we see cliff when he was young and his parents dysfunctional relationship uh we see moments of jane when she was younger hinting at you know the abuse that she's going to suffer at her mm-hmm. i do we have father stepfather i probably father right i mean he was there when yeah. she was just a baby so yeah. probably biological father um yeah and and culminates in the end with the weird thing I, with the, that the part made me cry do you remember this yeah i remember yeah i was i i teared up because the idea of sad little baby crying and nobody there to pick her creepy up creepy guy with standing over creepy her with guy. a cigarette the hell was that but <laughs> yeah yeah just resentful angry and who knows what else that looming was pretty threatening but i just couldn't stop thinking about that poor little baby yeah, no, that one struck a nerve for me, and I had to pause and cry, <laughs> cry it out. <laughs> even the whole sequence with Vic and like his, like, 
and his dating profile. Like, yeah, you're like, was... any other show, you'd be like, you're going to spend five to ten minutes of the actor just like standing in the middle of this field, mm-hmm. talking to himself and like reviewing his dating profile. Yeah, basically. Yeah, but. I mean, it perfectly works for this show, and the yeah. uh, the actor did a good job. And I love the, the I love the the scene where he's realizes that grid again. Do a whole thing about why he calls it grid. That's the Jeff Johns thing. But he, the grid like is the name for his mm-hmm. his AI basically. It's yeah, like, you know, his companion AI, or whatever, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Jarvis realizes he's got like a live feed of this girl that he's been communicating with on mm-hmm. this, you know. Yeah, on the on the profile dating yeah. app site or whatever. Um, dating app site. There you go. I don't there sound like I'm, <laughs> I don't sound like I'm 50 years old. <laughs> um, he's got like a live feed. This, do buses have like? I guess some buses might have like yeah, a security they they camera. Or something. Yeah. yeah, they do. Um, and we see her face like in real time, and she sees like the photo of himself as he looks now that he sent to her, and we see her like like recoil like recoil and then she uh, what I love is that she like looks around too is like yeah. oh man I hope that other people don't see, don't think that I'm a weirdo look over you know what I mean like, just not, now, not just yeah. not just the revulsion but the shame that she felt in that moment like yeah, the yeah. insecure shame yeah like by by proxy that he feels you know mm-hmm. like I don't I don't even I don't just discuss other people I make them feel ashamed mm-hmm. for thinking that I might be a normal person you mm-hmm. know like this multiple levels of yeah. twisting the knife you yeah. know yeah, that was a that was a great scene. I, I enjoyed the whole episode. I, so we're, we're halfway through the show, halfway through the season now. Mm-hmm. So how do you? I think we talked about this before. We could kind of compared it to, to Titans. Do you think that so far there? Do you think that halfway through the season? Do you think that it's as good as or better than Titans? I think I'm enjoying it more than Titans. I think I am too. I think a lot of it might have to be that I have less, and I mean we culturally have less baggage associated with Cliff Steele than we do with Dick Grayson. You know, like Maybe, there's yeah. a dark violent mm-hmm. version of Dick Grayson, we can we can enjoy the show, but we're always kinda like That's not Dick really? Grayson. Really? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like but with uh, with these characters, they can change stuff. Like, yeah, make Larry Trainer gay. Make these character make Rita like 80 years old and have mm-hmm. like the secret baby I guess maybe perhaps yeah who knows and something with another woman that slit her wrist like that was yeah. never in the comics but like fine because there's no sure there's no sacred cow about Alasta woman where you're like no you have to adhere to the Alasta woman canon you know what right. I mean right yeah so they can do whatever they want and it's not to say that they're not faithful to the comics they're they're faithful to the spirit of the comics and the same way that we were talking about Titans the way that we feel like Titans was was true to like the core of the characters but yeah. it's just they they transplanted that the core of those characters into like a very gritty dark show and it still worked but it was kind of jarring for that reason whereas here they're taking the core of the characters and they're keeping them in the same sort of surrealist yep. tone that mm-hmm. Morrison infused it with and the writers that came after him too all the way up to like the current slash just I guess on hiatus finished Gerard Way right. Young Animal Doom Patrol series that was always so insane um, and next episode we're getting Danny the Street yeah so I'm really looking forward to the next episode to answer your question earlier um, yes I'm very much enjoying the show and I do think I'm enjoying it better than Titans I think the off the wall um mechanics of the stories it, it's so imaginative and so unused to i'm so unused to anything like this any any structure like this like a rat chews wires in a robot body and um this poor brain encased in it is having a mental breakdown because of it that's just one episode <laughs> and then the the rat got convinced to do so by uh 
by the know, narrator, fifth basically. dimension narrator who knows all, like, and is a bad guy for some reason, um, and continuously breaks the fourth wall. Like, thank you, <laughs> check please. Can I have another? You know, <laughs> um, it's it's so it's so nice. But I also really like. Okay, I love the performances in the show. I love the weird writing and the weird stories, but also the writing of the characters and the the portrayal of the characters too, and. I think everybody is doing a really phenomenal job with this show. And I really like the cinematography. Like, it's a masterclass in how to use colors. It's so interesting and intricate, and um, I'm Titan, really enjoying Titans the Titans looked look really good, show. too, but it had a very consistent look across the whole thing. Yeah. That sort of like steel, gray, blue, Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan, Dark Knight kind of look. But not as washed out. It was less washed out than that. Yeah, but it, it had a it very... It was good, though. It had a it's very... Like a dark palette, but it's... Uh, it had the, the tradition, what you would call like a realistic palette by like a modern like action movie slash thriller movie palette. Like mm-hmm. cool, sort of like lots of browns and grays and yeah. steel blues, mm-hmm. you know? Whereas this show is just bright and colorful and insane and lots of splashes of weird color and surrealism and whites and browns and bright reds and yep. you know yep. the glowing blue of the negative spirit and everything else and yeah it's it's good yeah yep. i'm just loving it so i can't wait for next episode yep that's it for our shows that's a lot of shows um thanks thanks for coming along the ride everybody <laughs> uh if you want to reach out to the show we have an email address mailbag at smartspodcast.com our twitter handle is at smartspodcast on facebook we are facebook.com slash smartspodcast and um i forgot the other thing is the website. Yes, www.smartspodcast.com. Um, thanks again for listening. And do you have a funny sound for us? You're shaking your head in an audio format that's very confusing for everybody at home. How about this for a sound? Hoo, hoo, hoo.